Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and today I'm talking with Jean Chasky, founder of Her Money, author, personal finance expert, and journalist with over 30 years of experience. When I learned that Jean conducted a study of more than 5,000 people to better understand what habits successful and wealthy people do differently, I had to learn more. On today's show, we'll deep dive into these specific behaviors that build success and how you can incorporate them into your own life. And now, this is the Career Contessa Podcast. Hi, Jean. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start with a brief introduction of who you are and what your company, Her Money, does. Sure. So I am a personal finance journalist. I guess some people would say a personal finance expert. I was on the Today Show for 25 years as their financial editor, but basically I've been writing about real people and their real money for about 30 years. I also run a company called Her Money, which was started with a podcast. We launched the Her Money podcast six years ago and very quickly discovered that there are a lot of women who are just hungry for more information about their money and and more women to talk to about their money. And so now Her Money is a company in addition to a podcast. We're still going strong as a podcast, but we do financial coaching. We've got both Finance Fix, which is uh, coaching for people who need help pretty much getting on a budget, saving more, spending less, paying down some debt. And we've also got Investing Fix, which is our investment club for women. I launched it with Karen Feinerman, who is a professional investor, and we're teaching women to invest one stock at a time. Wow, that's amazing. It's uh, You've done a lot in your career, but I feel like you are definitely at this point in your career, would you say women in financial advice, it's sort of like has never been more popular and you're seeing tons of, you know, just financial, female financial experts who are giving financial advice was probably not something you saw 30 years ago. It wasn't. In fact, I think part of the reason that I was successful out of the gate is because it was pretty unusual to be a woman talking about money. But yeah, I think 
it's amazing that there are so many women's voices in the mix. And I think that the reason that there's such a hunger to talk about money has to do with the work that you do. Women have more money. We are earning more money. And we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can with this money to build the financial lives and the overall lives that we want for ourselves and for our families. Yeah, absolutely. So whether you get your advice from TikTok, Instagram, or a podcast, I just think it's so fantastic that it's something we're we're talking about and thinking about. And to your point, when you have that paycheck, you you know you have to you you probably want to be savvy about it. And actually, that kind of leads me into my next question, which is. What are some of the quote unquote money rules that you can share that can help us start building, you know, a financial life that is sustainable? So something that is like realistic, but also setting us up for a really good future. So my favorite money rule, and I've got about 150 money rules. I can I can <laughs> I could give you enough money rules to fill this entire podcast. But I think my two favorites are number 11, which is If you can't see it and you can't touch it, you won't spend it. Mm -hmm. And number 73, which is hope is not an investment strategy. So let me talk about each of them just for a second. When we talk about if you can't see it and you can't touch it, you won't spend it, what we're really talking about are 401ks. And the fact that 401ks work as successful investment vehicles because they're automatic. Really, that is their secret sauce. The money gets swiped out of your paycheck before you have a chance to get your fingers on it. And a lot of people these days work for companies that don't have 401ks. They work for themselves. They work for small companies that haven't put 401ks in the mix. And so If you don't have one, you want to borrow a little bit from this magic. And even if you do have one, you want to try to 401k the rest of your life. Because when it comes to money, human beings are sadly all too human, right? We are creatures that prefer immediate gratification to delayed gratification. We'd rather spend it than save it because it's frankly a lot more fun. And so We have to play mind games with ourselves to get us to do the right things with our money. And automating deposits into accounts where we are going to keep our hands off is one of those tricks that we can fairly easily play these days because we've got technology to help us. And so you can, of course, do it with a 401k. If you've got one, max it out. Make sure you're grabbing all the matching dollars. If you don't, automate contributions into an IRA or a Roth IRA. If you work for yourself and you can do more than that, a SEP IRA allows you to put a lot of money away. You can also automate contributions into a 529 college savings plan for your kids, into a health savings account, into an emergency savings account. If you've got a savings account, just tell your bank, take a little off the top every single time I get paid and move it over there where I'm less likely to touch it. So that's the first part. The second part is that you have to be planful. It's really great to dream. And and when we dream about the things that we hope that our money will do for us in the future, 
many of us have a laundry list and, you know, we want to buy homes. We want to start businesses. We want to travel. We want, there's so many things, but unless you actually map it out, unless you chart your course from wherever you are today until you get where you want to go tomorrow, you're not going to get there because life will just happen along the way and it'll take you off course. And that may mean at some point hiring somebody to help you, a financial advisor. But even if you're doing it yourself, benchmarking your way there, just as you would be doing if you were running your first 10K is a really great strategy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that those are two very good rules and way less intimidating than 150. If you've listened to our pod before, you may have at some point heard me talk about chronic health issues and work and how difficult that can be. I've had to firsthand deal with that. And let me tell you, it can be so frustrating. And one thing that helped me in my own health journey was regular blood testing. That's why I'm genuinely excited to share our sponsor this week, Inside Tracker. To live your healthiest and longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science-backed recommendations on things you can take control of to optimize your health. Things like food, supplements, workouts, and lifestyle choices, including ways to optimize sleep and stress. Inside Tracker tests and provides optimal ranges for over 40 biomarkers, things like magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol, and more. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they have a strict science backed approach to everything they do. If your specific biomarker level is unoptimized, Inside Tracker provides recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. I just started my process with Inside Tracker, and so far it has been so easy, and I'm really excited to get my results. I literally had a phlebotomist come to my house to draw my blood, and then like an hour later, I got a notification that it was being sent to the lab. It was super seamless, and I'm really looking forward to see all of my biometrics. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash Contessa. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com slash Contessa. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles-based influencer and co-founder of the clean skincare line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. So why is it that some people seem to move you know, relatively easily from paycheck to paycheck lifestyle into financial comfort or wealth while others get stuck or even, you know, as you point out, life happens and sometimes they fall back? It's an interesting question. And it's one I actually wrote a whole book about. So when the financial crisis hit, I, I got very curious about what it is that is in the makeup of some people that prevent them from getting stuck? Why is it that 
even if the economy is truly lousy, there are certain people that manage to just rise above it all. And so I commissioned a study of 5,000 people to look at what qualities and habits distinguish those people who do better in all kinds Mm -hmm. of economic environments. And there were some financial habits in the mix. The people who do better, they save, right? And they save regularly and maybe they do it automatically. They don't allow themselves to get derailed. They are fairly planful. But then there are a bunch of human attributes that we found were really important in the mix. Things like optimism and resilience and connectedness and gratitude and intuition. I mean, a whole laundry list. And the best thing about these qualities, to to a one actually, is that although there are some people who were born with more of them than others, it's, it's true. Some people were just born on a sunny day, right? They are all learnable. You can teach yourself to be more resilient if you know how to teach yourself to be more resilient. And so I wrote a book called The Difference that dug into, all right, how do you get more of this stuff? I love this. Okay. So we're going to dive in deep into each of these because I want to know what are the habits that, you know, wealthy and successful people do differently. I kind of love these type of lists. So let's talk about or dive deeper into, you said the first personality trait is optimism. So talk about that a little bit. Right. So the first thing, and optimism is kind of synonymous, right? With happiness. And some people believe that more money will bring you more happiness. There's a lot of research on this, but by and large, it's not overall true. Once you have enough money to live comfortably, which is really important, if you're scraping by, you are not happy. But if you've got enough money to to live comfortably, more money is not necessarily going to bring you more happiness. More happiness and more optimism, however, will bring you more money. They tend to create this arena of success because people who are more optimistic are better problem solvers. They can think of new ideas. They can set some long range targets. They have the ability to come back and do it again if they miss the first time. They're also by and large healthier people. They they live longer because they do simple things like applying sunscreen regularly. That's so funny. <laughs> and and you know, if they go to a doctor because they have a medical event, they are more likely to actually follow the doctor's orders. They're they're going to do what the doctor tells them to do and they are more likely to achieve their goals whatever the goals are that they set out for themselves because they're in a a good frame of mind. They're more likely to graduate from college, to get job interviews, and to get the jobs. And once they've got the jobs, they've got better performance evaluations, not just from their bosses, but from their colleagues. They get promoted and their salaries go up. So the question is, all right, that all sounds amazing, but but how do I do it? right? Yeah. How, do I, how do I get happy enough? <laughs> how do I get? And and that's the key, happy enough, because again, lots of research on this, but the research has, has found that 
you don't want to be a 10 out of 10 on the happiness scale. If you're a 10 on the t- out of 10, you are a little bit too blissed out, right? You're a little <laughs> you're too happy. You're too, you're a little bit too complacent. Instead, you want to be an eight because eight is just happy enough to keep striving. So if you feel like you're a little too happy, if you are a nine or a 10 out of 10, the thing to do is to try to challenge yourself a little bit more when you know that you can easily accomplish everything on your list for a particular day, you you get a little bit bored and you get a little bit tired. It's important occasionally to do things that scare us. And if you're not happy enough, if you find that you're a five or a six, this is when using your money for experiences rather than things actually works to make people a little bit happier. Things tend to get old, they get a little dusty. When we're talking about clothing, they certainly go out of fashion. Experiences, especially if you embellish a little bit, they become better every single time you talk about them. Yeah. For me, it's the babysitter. Best money I could ever spend. (laughs) You know, I will forgo any pair of shoes or purse or whatever. I don't care. The babysitter is always going to (laughs) win. And a babysitter, by the way, you're, you're doing two things, right? So the other thing that you're doing when you spend money on a babysitter or a housekeeper is you're using your money to buy you time and that makes you happier. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. Okay. So the other personality trait you talked about is resilience. So let's talk about that. And I think a lot of people, it's funny how a a lot of these traits are good for overall life traits to have. And also I think of these as also when we talk about careers, we're like, well, optimism, you know, like go in there with confidence that you're going to get the job. So uh, resilience is a big one that we hear come up a lot also in the career space. So let's talk about why successful and wealthy people also have this trait and how do we get it? Yeah. And and I think you're right. I mean, especially if you look at the past few years, the definition of resilience is the ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or to change. Look at the last three years. I mean, there yeah. has not been a quality that we have needed more than that because people who have resilience can overcome it on the job in their personal lives, with their finances. They're not deniers. They they don't deny that bad things happen in all of our lives because of course, bad things happen in all of our lives, but they have the ability to move forward. They're not just getting stuck in a pool of negativity. And so if you want to become more resilient, there are a couple of things that you can do. First is focus on the things that you can control rather than the things that you can't, which in general means your own actions and mm-hmm. not the actions of other people. But it also means, and, and I talk about this a lot in, in the terms of what, what I'm talking about money, it also means focusing on your own personal economy, not on the economy at large. We can't control the markets. We can't control interest rates. We can't control inflation. We can control the fact that we've got 24 different subscriptions and maybe we should cancel some of that, right? Yeah. So it's it's really getting into your, your personal data. So that's one thing. The second thing you do to build more resilience is to take some action because when you take action, you become that ball rolling down the hill. It's a lot easier to switch it up from there. I mean, the first thing you 
you do may in fact be the wrong thing. But once you're in motion, it's a lot easier to stay in motion. And if you're one of those people, particularly one of those women with a negative radio that plays nonstop in your head, you you want to challenge it with data that you know to be true, facts that you know to be true about your own life, right? Like, so for me, I will sort of turn it around. I, I go to yoga class. I'm not even, I can't even touch my toes, right? And I go to yoga class and I feel like a loser. But in fact, I try to tell myself that I'm I'm not the worst person in the class. I'm maybe one of the average ones among the beginners, right? So it's just a little bit of of reframing whatever that negative radio is telling you. I love that. And I think, again, careers, money, whatever it is in your life, like taking note of what is that inner critic kind of narrative that you like to put on replay, especially when things go south. We had, it's funny you say that because we just did a launch for one of our programs, Career Camp, and all of the test emails went out on the day that to everybody instead of being test emails. And I was like, oh my God, this is like, you know, you have these nightmares about these type of email mistakes. And I was in the middle of like a museum with my mom and my baby. Like there, I didn't have a computer. I couldn't like rush to do it. And I, I right away, I was like, I, you know, I knew this wasn't going to work. I knew so like, and it's, it's like, stop. This is totally a waste of your time. This inner critic is not helping us solve the problem. And I just like, it it was very much like a wave of emotion. And I feel like when you have that, just at least in my experience, having this pause moment and being like, okay, what is the narrative that I drop kick to? And then how can I edit that? Because, you know, at the end of the day, no one died. It was emails went out a day before they were supposed to, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And the reframing really does help when you're like, this is not worth that, you know, getting that worked up over. And I think resilience is a little bit of that. It's also like kind of like perspective shifting a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And it takes a little bit of practice, right? You're, you're, yes. you may not be able to get yourself to reframe successfully the first time around, but by the time you've done it three or four or 10 times, you're a little bit better at it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I want to talk about the next trait, which is social connectedness. Let's, what does that mean? So social connectedness is, it's social capital, basically. It's, It's the fact that when you are connected to people, those interactions in those relationships change in ways that, that lead to action, you know, generally for the positive, right? Your friend, Jane, introduces you to her friend, Susan, and Susan is happening to look for somebody when when her company has an opening she thinks of you and and all of a sudden you have a, a gig and that is social capital at work and it has real value not necessarily dollars and cents but information resources mentorship sponsorship when somebody puts themselves out to further your career the thing about it is that you've got to cast a pretty wide net in order to become a truly connected person. And you've got to do it in ways that get you offline. And I I know that that is harder 
in this remote work environment. I actually think social generating social capital has become harder since the pandemic when we all went home and many of us have stayed home. But picking up the phone, making a date for coffee, sending an email for sure, but sending a handwritten note, right? You've got to you've got to look to cast a wider net. We know that people who are truly successful get themselves out of their comfort zones and the people who who don't who who tend to hew a little closer to their their friends and their family that they've had forever, it hurts them in the long run. And so it not only means reaching out, it means making time for people. And I and that has gotten really difficult too. I feel like we used to have time for things like lunches and coffees. And that, like so many other things, got more difficult in the pandemic. We need to bring it back. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I can understand how this also leads to your wealth because you know, that's how you find jobs quickly or you get opportunities that you maybe weren't even looking for. And so I like that social capital as a, it's like almost like a, a spin on networking for people who feel like networking is very transactional. I think instead think of it as like, what's the social capital? You know, you're trying to build your bank account. What about your social capital or that asset class in your portfolio too? I think that's absolutely right. You have to be intentional about it in the same way that you are intentional with the other things that you do with your finances and your career. Okay. So the last habit or personality trait that wealthy and successful people do differently is purpose or, or passion. So let's talk about that. Right. So I had years ago, a guest on my radio show, I was doing a radio show for Oprah, who was a woman named Sarah, who told me this story about this very, very tough time that she had starting a business. She had like, like many entrepreneurs, she had this aha moment. She had a great pair of white pants, an expensive pair of white pants hanging in her closet. And she hadn't worn them for close to a year because she didn't like how they looked basically. So she took a pair of pantyhose. She cut the feet off the pantyhose. She put them on under her white pants. And all of a sudden the pants look great. And she thought, all right, I got to bottle this. She didn't have a lot of money, but she knew that she was onto something. So she took that pantyhose. She found somebody to actually turn it into a product. It took months, if not years. And then when she could not get anyone at the department stores to pay attention to her, dragged a buyer into the ladies room and made her watch a demonstration of exactly <laughs> what this this pair of Spanx could do to a pair of white pants. It was for her not a job, right? For her this had become a calling. It had become a passion. And there's a lot of research on this which tells us that Jobs are things that you do just for the money. Careers are things that you do for the money and advancement. But callings are those things that you feel that you simply have to do. And if you're fortunate enough to be able to find your calling, you are going to very likely be more successful. Now, it's not easy. And it's particularly not easy in a tough job market. But if you're looking to figure out what you're passionate 
about and you're not sure, I would suggest reaching back to childhood and thinking about what you thought you wanted to do when you were 11 or 12 years old. Sometimes those things are incredibly relevant. If you have a job and you don't feel that it is your passion. There are things that you can do to make yourself more passionate about it. You can try to find some autonomy in that position. We know that people are happier in their jobs if they feel like they can put their own art on the walls and they feel like they can move the couch from one side of the room to the other. It also, believe it or not, works to fake it till you make it. It works to plant a smile on your face now, this assumes that you're in an office, but I, I would think that it it works in a Zoom room as well. If you show up with a smile, people are going to be drawn to you and you're going to start making friends and you're going to start having more of those conversations. And it's going to become a much more pleasant environment to work in, at least short term, but possibly long term as well. Yeah. Two things. One, I love that you said Sarah, who you're referring to Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, which is so cool that you interviewed her before, you know, what Spanx is now. That's incredible. Second thing about that. So question about the calling thing. So I think everyone listening is probably like, sign me up. Where do I, where do I like put my name on the board for having a calling instead of a career or a job? And I know you touched on this briefly, but what about if you are out there looking for what you want to do next? You're trying to figure out your next career move and you want it to be more on the calling side. Do you feel like people can get that with organizations or is that something you can only get if you're going to be an entrepreneur or, you know, go out on your own? No, I I do think people can get it from organizations and it's completely attitudinal. There's a a body of research on callings and, and what it shows is that you can be a custodian in a hospital and approach it as a calling. The, The difference is that the custodians who see it as a calling, see what they are doing as helping patients and those who don't see cleaning up, right? It's, it's, it's a mind shift. We didn't really talk about gratitude and gratitude is one of the other attributes that is very helpful in making the difference. But I think bringing a little bit of that element of giving back, right? If you're if you're using your time or your money to do something for other people, it's more likely to make you feel purposeful and passionate than if you're not. Yeah, it just seems like sometimes the jobs when you're giving back to other people, they don't pay as well. And so there's like this, you know, disconnect. I feel like, for example, a teacher, right? You might love kids. You love the fact that you're impacting a young person's life. And it's it's always like confused me on why we don't pay teachers better and offer them better benefits because they're doing such not only, you know, purposeful work for themselves, but for all of us in society, you know, so there I think there's. It's, it can feel challenging to find the calling that also pays well. Totally agree. But I, I do think there is an element of a lot of jobs where you can find that element that is helpful perhaps to society, right? You could be an investment manager and you could turn your focus to helping people invest in those things that fulfill an ESG sort of a mission, right? That that yeah. serve the planet or the the greater good. You know, I I mean, I I look at myself and I started as a journalist making eleven thousand dollars a year. Right? There's there's very very little money in journalism. For me, helping women with their money is a calling. 
And I've managed to also turn it into a business that does well. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So the traits of the wealthy and most successful people, just to review. So the first one was optimism, resilience. We didn't really talk about this one, but gratitude, social connectedness or social capital and purpose or passion. Jean, these are amazing. I think, like I said, they apply for, you know, your financial outlook, but also your career outlook and just life outlook in general. Where can people learn more about you, find the podcasts, all the links, let us know. Thank you so much. So hermoney.com is where you will find the podcast. You'll find our finance fix and investing fix courses. You can sign up for our newsletters and I'm on social at Jean Chatsky pretty much everywhere. Amazing. Thank you. And thank you for being like the OG female financial expert out there who's spreading the word. We all, we all appreciate that. Thanks, Jean. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Please remember to rate and review our show. It means so much to us. You can also just send us a private note as a DM on Instagram if you want to let us know what you liked about the episode or ideas for future episodes. And don't forget to check out Jean's website, Her Money, as well as her podcast by the same name. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.